the human eye is amazing. <laughs> With a 126 million, million light-sensitive cells, it can distinguish up to 10 million different colors. The human eye can bend and flex in order for you, for me, to focus on objects that are near or far. It has four different modes. Did you know this? Four different modes, if you will, uh, to be able to see in four different kinds of light. Full light, like in the daytime. Dim light, like not in the daytime. Dusk, or in uh, near total darkness. It is uh, quite miraculous, really, that, that we would have these two round things in our face that allow us the ability to experience the world. But it's not your eyes entirely that allow you to see. Did you know this? I can imagine that you have seen some pretty astonishing things in your life, some beautiful things and some heart-wrenching things. The sparkle of sunshine off of the water, the way uh, the sky looks before a storm, magnified cells under a microscope, or the image of a very vast universe, a newborn baby, or someone suffering in sickness. The ingenuity of architecture or the destructions of war, even the stillness of the morning, you've probably seen. You see, there is so much to see. Kids, I know you just got back to your seats with your families, but I wonder if you could take out a piece of paper, maybe even on the back of that, that hidden uh, artwork thing. What's it called? Hidden pictures? Hidden pictures. Could you draw a picture of something that you've seen that was really amazing? Can you do that? It's one thing for our uh, eyes to receive light that is bouncing off of objects and then lands on our retinas, the backs of our eyes. But it's another thing for our brains to make sense of what we're seeing. Visual perception. Visual perception is the work of our brains to make sense of what we are seeing. You see, we make assumptions and inferences and conclusions based on not what we see with our eyes in this very specific moment, right here, right now, but we actually make those assumptions, inferences, and conclusions based off of what we have seen, what we have experienced, what we have noticed before. You see, visual perception relies on previous experiences to interpret what we see in the present. That's remarkable. Before Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday, human bodies didn't rise from the dead, especially those bodies that were deemed really very dead. You see, in those days, bodies were confirmed dead at day three. So when we pick up the story, the Easter story of Jesus rising from the dead on Sunday morning, the third day, we can be certain that Jesus was, was totally, completely dead. That Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. She is the only person in all four Gospels to be mentioned at being at both the crucifixion and the resurrection. And you see, she watched Jesus 
She watched Jesus suffer a brutal death, and she watched Jesus die. And it was very common, very common for for women to do the work of caring for a dead body once that body was dead. They would anoint that body with oils and spices so that the smell of decay would not overwhelm that graveyard where they would put the body. And because this was her role as a woman, she saw with her own eyes Jesus's dead body. She probably felt his dead body in her hands. She was perhaps one of the few that wrapped his body in grave clothes. She knew. She knew that this death was for real because she saw it and she felt it and she attended to it. Because of that, we can only imagine her grief. Mary's grief was was unique to the rest of Jesus' disciples and followers. You see, her life had been very dramatically changed by Jesus some years earlier. We read about it in Luke 8, if you want to sift back there and and read that. You see, uh, before she first saw Jesus, those years before Easter, she was plagued by a terrible mental illness. Scripture describes uh, these illnesses as, as demons that possessed her. This is how people understood the effects of mental illness in those days, in those biblical days. I'm grateful for the words and the, and the resources that we have now to, to define what's really going on. But what we can infer about Mary's situation before she first saw and encountered Jesus was that she was suffering from severe emotional and psychological trauma. The trauma certainly affected her ability to make sense of what she saw, to visually then perceive the world around her. And then Mary sees Jesus, and Jesus sees Mary, and he heals her of all those traumas and those illnesses, and her life was completely transformed by an encounter with the living Jesus. How then could she not be utterly devastated by his death? How could she not be afraid, afraid that her sickness would return to her because the man who healed her was dead in a tomb? Would her healing really then her whole life unravel? Would she spiral back into the pit of turmoil and depression and hopelessness that she lived in for so long? It was seeming as though everything that she thought she could believe in, things that she saw with her own eyes, experienced in her own body and her own mind, were dying along with Jesus. Those things, that healing, seemed like it was gone. It was from this very pivotal place in Mary's story that she goes to the tomb that Sunday morning. Her eyes have not fooled her thus far. Jesus was really very dead, and so were all her hopes and her dreams and her healings. And so let's pick up the story. In John chapter 20, we're starting in verse 11. 
John is the fourth gospel of four gospels in the New Testament. The New Testament tells the story of Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus' death and his resurrection. And then the New Testament tells the story of what ordinary people like you and me did after that, how the church was formed and how the living Christ uh, was, was manifest among them. But, but before we get to that, we have to read this good story. John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. If you have a Bible, please feel free to take it out uh, so you can get the whole context of what's happening. But we also have it conveniently on the screens. I appreciate it on the screens every now and then. John 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she went over and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him. And cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to, uh, to, to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them. What he had said, uh, that he had said these things to her. The word of God, the best word of God for these, the people of God. Thanks be to God. The writer of this book, John, they name it John because John wrote the book, uh, he brings up this theme throughout the book, uh, his gospel, all about Jesus. And it's this theme come and see. You see, in referring to the wonder that is Jesus, which was John's goal as the author all along, a consistent invitation was not um, just, just to look over there or uh, believe that thing that you're seeing from a distance or consider these amorphous ideas that I'm offering. No, John continually says in his book, come and see. And Jesus continually, with the people he interacted with, said, come and see. When, when something occurred that was beyond reason, or there was an invitation um, uh, for something to happen, John and Jesus always said, come and see. It's like the way little children uh, collect adults to reveal something to them. Have you experienced this? Come and see, come and see, right? But the adult never really knows what's going to be revealed to them. Uh-huh. Will it be a glorious art piece or, or um, a really cool tower or a critter found in its natural habitat? Those would be lovely. Or would it be a giant mess, a very big problem, or a critter found outside of its natural habitat and inside your home? Anyone ever dealt with this before? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our visual perception has perhaps given us both outcomes. We never know 
what we're going to see when we are invited to come and see. But the gospel writer John is consistently calling our attention to something that requires our visual perception. Not just seeing something uh, with our retinas, but allowing these things to inform our assumptions, our inferences, our conclusions. Mary, Mary sees a great many things this resurrection morning. You see, her visual perception prepared her to see a closed tomb, a dead body, a still graveyard. The blur of her own tears in her own eyes. So it makes sense that when a man approaches her, she assumes, she infers, she concludes that the caretaker of the graveyard garden is there. Perhaps he, perhaps he saw something that would help her make sense of all the things she is currently seeing that she cannot completely perceive. You see, Mary's retinas have seen so much. She has visually perceived so much. Can you even imagine what was being perceived when, she, uh, when Jesus says her name? I wonder what it was like for Jesus, for Jesus then to be seen in that moment. I wonder what it was like for him there with the creator at creation, the one who created Mary's eyeballs, knowing that those eyes, those retinas would be the first to perceive the reality of the resurrection. I can only imagine the joy that fluttered through his resurrected body, this feeling of delight. Oh, she's going to see it. Perhaps Jesus was glad, more glad for that moment than Mary was. To be seen by her in his resurrected body. And then for, for her visual perception to start making connections and inferences and assumptions and conclusions that then reinstate all the hopes and dreams that were previously dashed in her life. I can see Jesus watching this whole process on Mary's face, seeing her uh, begin to recognize all of it, watching her eyes move back and forth as she's trying to make meaning of it, noticing her blink and perhaps like squeeze her eyes shut so that the information she's receiving from light bouncing off a of resurrected Jesus would actually stay in her brain and her body and in her heart. I could see a, a pure and wide smile across Jesus' face, a twinkle in his own eye. Perhaps even the skin around his eyes wrinkling because of the smile all over his face. Kids, you have pieces of paper, right? Would you do me a favor? On one of those blank pieces of paper, would you draw what you think Jesus' face would look like when he saw Mary? Can you do that? I can't wait to see them. Jesus delights in being seen. And this is no small thing. In my own walk with Jesus, I am becoming more and more convinced of this, that Jesus delights in me, in us, in the world. 
That it's not a burden to be in relationship with us, to love us, to appear to us resurrected. You see, Jesus wants to do this because Jesus wants us. He didn't roll his eyes the first time Mary saw him. Oh, why don't you recognize me? He just called out her name. Jesus delights in being seen. It is as much a joy for Jesus to be seen resurrected as it was for Mary to see resurrected Jesus. Because God delights in resurrection and God delights when we perceive the resurrection. Because resurrection life has always, always been the way of God. Since the dawn of time, God has been making life out of things that were not alive. This is the regular pattern of creator with creation. But this resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, brings a new reality to creation, to every one of us, to, to every community, to every political structure, every forest, every family, every system, every corner of this created world. Now, because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, everything we perceive holds the possibility of resurrection. And we have certainly seen so much in our lifetimes, especially in these last few years that have felt like lifetimes. We have perceived so much. I wonder what things you specifically have visually and emotionally, physically, mentally, even spiritually perceived in the recent past. Great losses, great struggles, great depressions. Perhaps like Mary, you have been plagued with mental illness or struggled through the breakdown of a relationship or have noticed old hurts that are re-emerging. Perhaps you have come face to face with your own failures and regrets and mistakes and shame. You have seen so much, I am sure. And the good news, the good news of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, from the grave, the place they put dead people and things, is that Jesus met those griefs and those pains and those sorrows and those shames there in the grave. His death was not just died so that we could have a fun story to tell on a certain Sunday in spring. Actually, he descended to the grave. And when he descended into that grave, it meant that everything, including death itself, was not void of God. His death was died so that all the things that plague us, that drag us down into those dead spaces, those things that make us feel so distant from the ways that God intended us to live, all those things were met by the presence of God, by God's own self in that dead place. The first thing we experience in new life is that all those things that went to the grave with Jesus have been resurrected and redeemed because Jesus came up close to them. And so this is why 
The resurrected Jesus provides a whole new way of looking at things. In a world that has been shimmering with the resurrection since the dawn of time, we now experience the brilliant light of that new life. Life that has come from the grave first. And in light of Jesus, everything we perceive holds the possibility of resurrection. Mary, a woman resurrected from her own graves of trauma, exclaims the very first resurrection sermon. I have seen the Lord. Five words. Five life-transforming, creation-transforming, story-altering words. I wonder, given all you've perceived in your life, do you have a similar set of words? The good news this Easter Sunday is that Jesus wants to be seen by you. Jesus delights in being seen by you, even if you don't recognize him at first. Even if grief or shame or confusion or doubt or wondering or pain partially blind you from your visual perception of him, he opened the eyes of the blind, and he's going to do it again. Our eyes are amazing things, and they were made to see Jesus. And Jesus wants to be seen. And so this Easter, I invite you to come and see, because Christ is risen. He's risen indeed.